Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com. And I'm all excited. You know why? Because we've actually seen padded football, live action, even if it's scrimmage football, over the past week since training camp has really kicked up into high gear. Now, we are now seven days in the books since padded practices began. And really, the season is right around the corner. Three weeks or so. So far, so good with the COVID restrictions and guidelines that are in place. Everyone has pretty much stayed safe. There was a little blip on the radar in regards to the testing. That was earlier today on Sunday. But it appears that everything is trending in the right direction towards us having a season, us being able to get through a season, although I think that's still in doubt. We're going to have to see how it goes when the players aren't fully engaged in training camp and caught up all the time and have spare time on their hands. But in the meantime, let's talk some football. Now, I'm going to start this episode a little different than most. I'm going to start with uh, the segment that I usually call Jordan on the Beat, where I give you sort of a description of what it's like to be you know, covering the Giants, covering the NFL, being an ESPN beat reporter. Because the reason I'm starting with this is these are different times. Covering training camp this year is different than every other year. Now, there are no fans allowed into training camp practices. This is different than the past, obviously. So, because of that, there are different restrictions on reporters. And what we're allowed to report. Because usually there's people there, they're taking videos, right? And the team can't stop you from taking videos. When you're once you're there, right? The whole point is is to promote the team and get you excited about the team and they're not going to sit there and tell everybody there they can't sit there and tape anything. So, once stuff is getting taped there, it's getting out. But now that the fans are not allowed in there, the rules are a little bit different this year. We're not allowed to say who's on the first team playing with the first team, second team, third team. We're not allowed to give those depth chart alignments. We're not allowed to talk about specific plays. These are things that are not allowed to be reported. We're basically not allowed to tape anything that is not individual drills. Anything where they're basically lining up 11 on 11, that's off limits in regards to videotaping or even taking pictures or anything. Now, you, you have to understand. NFL coaches are some of the most, most paranoid, protected, protective individuals you're ever going to meet in your life. So this is an opportunity to sort of put everything behind closed doors, put it behind a window that the public can't see. Now, this is kind of a benefit for the Giants and teams that are first-year coaches, if you think about it, because nobody really knows, and you could guess, But nobody really knows what the offensive and defensive system teams like the Giants with Joe Judge and Jason Garrett and Pat Graham have installed, right? Training camp, preseason, would usually provide a little glimpse for people, for other teams specifically. And don't think other teams don't pay attention. I believe it was the Packers general manager who said it was his decision to not allow uh, reporting of depth charts and plays and any schematic anything schematic at training camp because the reality is he tells his scouts his personnel people and he's done it probably himself 
they've watched what goes on and read what's going on around the league and then use that information to their advantage. Like, I know, I mean, I speak to people around the league with other teams. They've always asked me stuff like what's going on with the Giants. And I know personnel people around the league, pro personnel people, they usually sit there and read everything around the league from beat reporters and 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 team websites because they're making lists of players they think are going to be available at the end of training camp at final cuts. So they want to be prepared for that kind of stuff. So all this information that's out there is being circulated throughout the league. Not this year. So we have restrictions. And I know a lot of you are going to ask me to say, who's the starting offensive line? I can't just come out and tell you who the starting offensive line is. What's the depth chart at X position? Where's this guy playing? So I can't really do that. There are restrictions on it this year. This is a different year. Access is hard enough. There's only so many fights out there that you can get you you can make. And this is one that we're not going to win right now. So everyone's kind of in a wait-and-see approach. Now, I know what their depth chart looks like. I have it written down on my pad. Now, I will, granted, probably give you hints out there. You could piece stuff together. You know, if I'm sitting there saying player to watch, on you know, a lot of times, oh, all of a sudden some guy ends up with the first team. I might say, hey, look, a player to watch ends up working with the first team. I might be like, oh, you know who a player to watch is? Is this guy, after watching him that day, basically play with the first team. So there are ways to work around it. That might be a key phrase to keep an eye out for a player to watch. Um, also... You know, we'll be talking about competitions a little bit so you can kind of piece who who's in those competitions. I think it's pretty well known that the Giants have said this now for months. You know, Nick Gates, Spencer Pulley, Shane Lemieux. Those are the three players they're looking at at center. One of them's a rookie who has never played the position, so you could guess the likelihood of him being the starter. So we know that the competition at center is likely going to be Nick Gates, and Spencer Pulley. So things like that we can kind of specify. Uh, You could put two and two together, I think, and we'll kind of move on from there. So there's a lot of reading in between the lines that's going to have to be done if you want to find out exactly what's going on. I mean, we're we're giving you the information, I promise, that we're allowed. But there's restrictions. So let me go through my notebook here and – give you a breakdown of what I've seen so far, right? And what we've seen, let's start off with Joe Judge, okay? Clearly, different kind of coach than we've seen in the past. He's bringing that old school mentality is what he said during his you know, uh, introductory press conference. I think that's a fair way to describe Joe Judge's approach. Now, I curse a lot, Okay. I'm an individual, my curse ratio is pretty high. Not around my kids, not when I'm on the radio, not when I'm on TV. But in the general course of life, us in the Northeast, we, gen- we, we tend to curse more than, more than most, I believe. So I'm a, I'd say I'm a fairly big cursor. Joe Judge puts me to shame. Okay, His coaching staff puts me to shame. And he, they admittedly, they're going to coach you hard. They're going to coach these players hard. They're going to get on them. Cam Brown, a rookie outside linebacker out of Penn State. 
He's become a whipping boy. I mean, he he just got shredded a couple times already in practice. And these kind of things are audible. I mean, they're going hard out there. And Joe Judge is big into teaching. He views these as teaching moments. I will say this. I think I heard him say a sentence the other day. There might have been 10 to 12 F-bombs in one sentence. And trust me, that's a skill. That's not easy to pull off. That is a lot of expletives in one or two or three sentences. But that's what it sounds like on the field these days. One of the loudest guys out there is definitely Brett Bielma. That's a voice you hear quite often. He's a title as Senior Defensive Assistant Outside Linebacker Coach. He's a strong voice out there. Now, there's a lot of strong voices out there. Joe Judge specifically is one, too. And what I do like about it is that, and Bill Belichick has always been big on this. Now, some of the Belichick things I don't think translate because Joe Judge doesn't have, you know, all those his fingers covered with rings to say, hey, look, this is why my ways work. Okay. But I do like this about Joe Judge is that the fact that he's a big why guy. And he does things and at least explains why he's doing them. And to me, that's important, especially with the young players. The why part of it is very, very important. Now, the stuff like, and I also do like that, and Bill Belichick was always like this with Tom Brady, he's going to coach everybody just as hard. And he's going to coach, Bill Belichick coaches, used to coach, used to, he's not there anymore. Used to coach Tom Brady just as hard as everybody else. It didn't matter that he's the greatest of all time. That he's the GOAT. If he messed up, he'll put it on the screen and he'll berate him too. Well, you could see that already with Joe Judge and Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. Those guys are not going to get preferential treatment in the eyes of Joe Judge. Now, I do believe that stuff like making players run laps, that kind of stuff, little hokey to me. All the, uh, you know, running laps and uh, running gassers and doing, you know, line running and jumping jacks or whatever, you know, I, that can wear on guys. Now, the benefit is for Joe Judge is this isn't this is only a 14-day training camp. If it was a month, this stuff would wear on guys a lot longer. It's only 14 days right now. It, it's a little more palatable in 14 days. So that's my opinion on the Joe Judge coaching tactics that you've heard a lot about. Now, in a way, one last thing on that. He's going to be walking a fine line. I think it can work, and I've gotten to know him, and he's personable. He's straight to the point. He's intense, and guys are going to like that. He's genuine. When you talk to him, you feel like he's being genuine and that he really, truly believes in this stuff. But he's going to walk a fine line, and, and when they start losing, and there's always a time every team starts losing. Even the Patriots had losing streaks. Where things start to go bad, he's going to have to walk that fine line. That's going to determine his, his success. Is he able to back off, lure guys back in before he loses them with some of these things? Or is he going to ride it, put his foot down on the pedal, be too strong, have some of the veterans start chirping, the veterans start chirping, they get into other people's ears, and then it trickles down. And they all hate the coach. They're not all bought in. And once they're all not bought in, it's over. It's over. So let's start going over what we've seen on the field a little bit. Daniel Jones start there because that's what everybody wants to know, right? The Giants' success is predicated on how Daniel Jones is going to do this season. 
If he's better, this team has a chance. If he's the real deal, this team has a chance to be decent. We're not talking about making the Super Bowl. I probably even think the playoffs is probably a stretch, although this season is going to be crazy. You never know. I think it's the, the, the top, 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 top end of the spectrum, and a million you know, things would have to unfold for them perfectly. But just for them to be a decent team, 8-8, eight and eight, have a quality season, show improvement, it's only going to happen if Daniel Jones is the real deal. He looks bigger. He looks stronger. Quarterbacks coach, I thought this was interesting, Jerry Shaplinski, thought he had a little extra zip on the ball. And I've kind of noticed that too, Daniel Jones. Maybe that's because his base is bigger. Maybe that's because his fundamentals are a little more sound. Whatever it may be. The little extra zip on the ball does make a difference. Now, he's looked good so far at practices. The interceptions are down. But we don't know about the fumbles. So until he gets out on the field, we don't really know if that problem is fixed. Because the quarterback wears a red jersey at practice, and nobody can touch the quarterback. So how are we really going to know if Daniel Jones is going to be stronger with the ball, if he's going to get it out quicker, if he's sitting in practice and wearing the red jersey? That's one of the things that we're going to have to wait and see. What I did notice, and this is my impression, I don't know, you know, we don't know exactly what the play call was or whatever, but they ran a scrimmage, the first scrimmage of the year on Friday. And Jones didn't quite look as good as he had in practice. All of a sudden, he got flustered a little bit early. They got better as they went along, but he looked a little bit flustered. I think the final numbers were 16 of 27, two touchdowns and an interception. Of course, that's with not being able to touch the quarterback and the pressure not being crazy on him. And even then, you know you're not going to get hit. So in practice numbers, those aren't tremendous. It's pedestrian, to be quite honest. He seemed to be stuck on his first read early, whatever his first read was, or like where he was intending to throw the ball pre-snap, he was kind of stuck on it. We'll see if that changes as we go along, but just something I'm going to keep an eye on moving forward here. So overall, though, I still think there's reason to be optimistic about Daniel Jones. The scrimmage a little bit pulled me back in probably to reality, saying, you know what? Remember, he he did make great throws last year, but... When things started moving a little faster, he became a little shakier. And you have to remember, this isn't a problem that's just him in the pros. He also had some of that fumbling problem at Duke. I think from 17 to, no, uh, yeah, whatever, the, the three years that he was a starter, he had the second most, so he played in the NFL in 19, so what, 16 to 18. He had the second most fumbles in FBS, lost fumbles. The only one who had more was Sam Darnold. And we talked about, you know, his fumbling problems throughout the whole draft process, too. So this isn't something that's completely unique to Daniel Jones. He's had a while to sort of clean it up and fix it up. If it doesn't happen this year, I'm going to have to be a little concerned moving forward. But so far, training camp, Daniel Jones, fairly optimistic. Offensive line, I told you before about that center position. That's the one we're going to watch. It's up for grabs. The rest of the line seems pretty much set, right? The second Nate Solder went out, that moved Andrew Thomas into what seemed like his more natural role. He's been, you know, playing out there at left tackle. I don't think that's a secret to anybody. Second Nate Solder went down. That was kind of his spot. So the offensive line for the Giants... We're now 
looking pretty much as expected. Cam Fleming is an offensive tackle who's looked pretty good out there. Might be in camp at least the best offensive tackle out there. Andrew Thomas, of course, he's going to go through his growing pains. This is natural. I'm going to say this a thousand times this year probably. He's a rookie tackle. If you're average as a rookie tackle, that's pretty good. It's a position where you come in and guys tend to struggle, normally have their growing pains. So we were watching one-on-one drills, pass rushers, offensive linemen the other day. First up, Andrew Thomas, number four overall pick, rookie tackle. Gets lined up, matched up against Lorenzo Carter, third-year Giants outside linebacker. Andrew Thomas went flying five feet in the air on his butt, landed on his backside. Lorenzo Carter, straight power, bulled him. And so this is something that we're going to have to watch with Andrew Thomas, his ability to handle NFL power early in his career. Saw it throughout a whole bunch of drills there. The power seemed to be something that he had a little trouble dealing with. And Thomas spoke when we talked to him about trying to keep his hands inside more. So he knows there's adjustments he's going to have to make. We're talking technically in order to be able to play at the level that he did as a left tackle at the University of Georgia. That earned him being the number four overall pick. All right, Evan Ingram, we're moving on here to the tight end. Evan Ingram looks pretty good, moving really well, had that foot injury last year. Nothing I see from Evan Ingram says he'd lost the step so far. And, of course, we've been saying this since Jason Garrett has been hired, that two tight end formation. And he used so often in Dallas. You know, he's heavy on tight ends. I've been saying this since he was hired. This offense is going to be heavy on tight ends. And we saw last year Caden Smith, quality player, filled in admirably for Evan Ingram. So to see those two players on the field at the same time, I don't think it would anyone should be surprised if that's uncommon. Now, what does that mean to the wide receiver rotation then, though? Means only two wide receivers will be on the field if there's two tight ends. So the Giants have Sterling Shepard, they have Golden Tate, and they have Darius Slayton. If they have to split that playing time between those three guys, somebody's going to lose time because everybody, Slayton's probably earned after his rookie year being in that starting caliber role. Golden Tate's always been a starter. Sterling Shepard's pretty much always been a starter. So it'll be interesting to see how that rotation works out. Now, we're talking about the Giants, so this is something I, I, I've been told to keep in mind. And I was told you know, a few months ago, you know, if they're a team that's building, and they are a team that's building, we have to be honest, this is a team that's building. They're not a Super Bowl contender. They're just not. They're probably going to lean towards the younger guys than the middling veterans. Now, I'm not saying Golden Tate's a middling veteran. He's a quality player in this league. But he is the oldest of the bunch. His future, you know, with the Giants is not forever. I would say Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard are more long-term Giants right now than Golden Tate. That's reality. I mean, just looking at their ages. Golden Tate's 30, 31 years old. So I don't see Darius Slayton being the one who's the odd man out on the playing time. So... Uh, you know, we'll find, we'll see how it works moving forward. I don't know, but we're going to find out. Now, if they run a lot of two tight end stuff, that means 
there's probably going to be a pretty heavy run concentration. Again, something we've mentioned since day one. Now, Saquon looks great. The old Saquon is back. That explosive, I mean, he's, he's on the field. You could tell that talent level is at a different bar. His bar is just so much higher than everyone else, almost everyone else out on that field. He's that kind of talent. And the Giants are going to ride it. This is the year, as long as he's healthy. I mean, Saquon Barkley is going to see what next level usage is. That's my opinion. It has been that from the start. This team is going to rely on Saquon Barkley. They're going to be built around Saquon Barkley as much as you can in today's NFL. And that means, you know, if you run the ball near 50% of the time, you're running the ball a lot. You know, most teams are probably 60-40. Some could even be 65-35 in favor of the pass. I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants are 50-50, near 50-50 by the end of this year, which in terms of 2020 football, that's run heavy. Other players who have made their mark so far, David Sills, he's been impressive. Alex Bachman working out of the slot. He sure knows how to get open. Uh, Now the Giants lost Cody Core, who was a big body, an excellent special teamer, had really good speed. I think he had some of the highest speeds, uh, according to next-gen stats, like five of the top ten last year. All of them, of course, on mostly, mostly on special teams. Uh, was an excellent gunner. Giants had big plans for him on special teams. And he also was probably going to end up as either the fourth or fifth receiver. Probably, maybe even the fourth he had a chance to be in that role. Corey Coleman's also in that mix. Sills is in that mix. Bachman's in that mix. I think uh, Austin Mack, wide receiver from Ohio State, has probably been the most impressive of the undrafted rookies so far. And he actually has probably, in my mind, the best chance to fill that Cody Core role because he has that size. Big dude in the 220-ish range, tall, probably like 6'3", 6'4", range. I don't have the, the roster in front of me, but he's a big guy. So he could do that physical special teams part. Now the question is, does he have that same speed? I think he ran a four five eight or something, four five nine in the forty. So probably not the same kind of speed. Does he have the speed to satisfy that role as gunner? So that's the offensive side. My evaluation of the offensive side for, for now, early in camp. Remember, we're only a week in. We'll get deeper. We'll get into guys like Shane Lemieux, a rookie guard who kind of fits that. Giants, you know, grinder type offensive lineman. We'll get into deeper into the roster as we move along here, but we're just going to scrape the surface in this episode. Then I'll get to answer a few Giants after dark questions to wrap this up. And then later, I'll follow it up a few days after. We'll do a full Giants after dark. So get your questions ready. We'll get to that in a minute, though. Let's go over to the defense. Leonard Williams player they're bringing along slowly. Dexter Lawrence, when you look at on the field, has a chance to be their best defensive player. Now, I do see limitations because what's his pass rush capability? What's his real – is he really ever going to play on in nickel situations and on strict pass rushing downs? So he'll always probably have that restrictions, which he did as a rookie. But, man, he, he moves well for a guy his size. Granted, his size sticks out. Leonard Williams, the Giants are bringing him along slowly. Remember, he was on 
the NFI list, non-football injury, when he first came in and he was being brought along slowly because of the hamstring injury. You've seen the Giants bring him along very slowly so far throughout training camp. Very slowly. Which has given other guys opportunities for reps in the meantime. So it'll be interesting to see how they deal with Leonard Williams moving forward. Because I don't care how much money he makes, if he's franchised or not. This coaching staff has said a thousand times, if they don't care where you're drafted, how much money you make, you're going to have to earn your playing time. So it'll be interesting to see if, in their eyes, Leonard Williams earns their playing time. Now, the two things when I look at this defense that worries me most, and it probably was the same coming into camp and watching this team on the field, nothing has changed. Their pass rush on the interior is a huge concern because they don't have many interior pass rushers. Leonard Williams is probably their best, and we've seen he's a almost guy right throughout his career. You know, he almost gets there. He almost gets sacks. So while almost is beneficial, it would be a lot better to have guys who actually got there. They don't really have that interior pass rusher. They really don't have depth as for on a, as interior pass rushers. I don't see Dexter Lawrence being a consistent pass rusher on the interior. Can he do it sometimes? Sure. He could push the pocket pretty consistently. He can create a little bit of havoc. But he's not a real pass rusher in the true sense of what I'm talking about here. Guys who on third down are going to get in there and get in the backfield and get hits on quarterbacks consistently. I mean, remember back in the day, the Giants had guys like Justin Tuck who could move inside and do damage inside. I don't even see their outside linebackers having a lot of guys that can move inside. It's a big problem. The other thing is that second cornerback spot. We got James Bradbury, the Giants signed, big offseason acquisition. He's on one corner. We know that. Who else is there? Right? You have Corey Ballantyne. Played in the slot last year. Wasn't meant to play in the slot. He was a late-round pick. He's the natural uh, assumption to say, okay, he's next in line. And behind him, who's after that? If Darnay Holmes, the rookie out of UCLA, is mostly a slot guy, what does that leave the Giants outside a cornerback? Grant Haley? Jaron Williams has been a player to watch early in training camp. You know, uh, he's an undrafted rookie out of Albany. Drayvon Askew Henry had a rough start to camp, a CFL guy, sorry, XFL guy. Played well in the scrimmage, but this... Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. 
That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. That's corner second cornerback spot. Big problem for the Giants. Because my concern is not only do they maybe not have a starting caliber player to start over there on the outside at cornerback, but then it, it has a trickle-down effect. Because James Bradbury, good quality player, but if you're really having the cover for that second cornerback spot and you're always going to have to have a guy, two guys on that spot, then you have James Bradbury on the other side consistently single covering every team's number one receiver, then that puts James Bradbury in a tough spot, which I don't think you want to do either. Like, I don't want to see, you don't want to see him covering, you know, if they play the Atlanta Falcons, Julio Jones one on one the entire game. And I know he did it at times, but. It could expose him if that's what you're doing all the time and you're putting him out on a complete island. I'm not sure he's that kind of shutdown corner. So not having a number two then could have a trickle down over there. Now, one player that has impressed me greatly, Julian Love. Second year safety. Actually came along, took took a while to get going last year, and that's the problem. He's a mid-round rookie. But they got him coached up last year. Played well in the second half of the season, and I've liked what I've seen. He, to me, has been the player that has stood out the most and surprised me early in camp. And he's going to play, and he's going to have an extensive role. He's going to have an extensive role. What that is exactly, we'll have to wait and see. But Jabril Peppers, Julian Love, and then even throw Xavier McKinney in the mix. Giants have some, have something back there. They might have some players back there. Now, maybe, I mean, we don't know what Xavier McKinney turns out to be, or even Julian Love at this point, or really Jabril Peppers. What we do have, I think, is three quality NFL players right now. We'll see what they grow into. But you, I think you have three NFL starting caliber players. I don't think any of them are pro bowlers, at least not now they're not, but quality starting caliber players, which is good. Because last year, with Antoine Bethea back there, sorry, but they didn't have starting caliber safeties. Two starting caliber safeties. Antoine Bethea is at the end of his career. He had lost two steps, not one, two. And he was not a starting caliber safety last year. And then you had Julian Love as the third safety. First half of the season, they didn't even feel comfortable using him yet. Hadn't built up to that point. Another player who is a player to watch is Devontae Downs, inside linebacker, right? You have Blake Martinez, who I, let me tell you, seeing him out there, you could tell. Again, you have a starting caliber player 
that seems to settle down that defense, that gives them some stability. I think it's huge for this defense. Needs stability. Needs a signal caller that, because Alec Ogletree last year, again, he was in the Antoine Bethay, you know, boat. Had lost a step. I don't, he's not even signed right now. So neither of them are even on NFL rosters. Had lost a step or two. Everybody knew he just couldn't play at that level that they needed. Blake Martinez, you see him matching up against Saquon. Now, can he stay with Saquon in pass coverage? No. One-on-one. Can many middle linebackers? No. But you could see Saquon has that immediate respect for him. They're going at it in practice before, afterwards, matched up against each other. You like that about Blake Martinez, too, that he's going to challenge himself and he's going to be like, I have to be able to guard and work against guys like this. And, you know, obviously he's at the top end of the, the running back spectrum. and that, But that's what he's working against in practice. Now, most weeks, if he's so used to working against Saquon, he'll be in an advantage because most weeks he'll be working against running backs who aren't at that level. You know, Miles Sanders, good player, not Saquon. You could make the argument Ezekiel Elliott is. The Redskins, no chance. Adrian Peterson at this point of his career, not Saquon. You know, they're going to play the Bears. They don't have anybody near Saquon. The only team that really has anyone near Saquon is the Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott. And even then, just physically, Saquon's probably at a different level. And Christian McCaffrey and the Panthers. The Giants don't play the Panthers. What the Giants do like about Devontae Downs, back to him for a second, is that he does have that ability to run. And they like the way he moves. Another player to watch, Tay Crowder. Mr. Irrelevant. So the Giants have a bunch of these guys. Seventh round picks. Most of them sixth, seventh round picks. Most of them are going to be you know, special team contributors their rookie year. That's going to be their primary roles. But Tay Crowder might have a specialized skill that can be used in specific packages. He runs really well for a linebacker. So maybe he has that coverage ability that the Giants can use in special packages. So he's the one that has kind of stood out to me the most. So, all right, that's where we stand so far after a week of training camp. Now, let me get to some of your questions. On to the next one. Ah, yes. It's time for my favorite part of this podcast. It's a segment we call Giants After Dark, where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions. We'll get underway with, we're going to kind of package two together right here. I'm going to do a bunch real quick. And I promise you I'm going to get to more later this week. So keep an eye out on uh, on Twitter and uh, get your questions in. I'm going to try and answer as many questions as I can. Now, as I said earlier, there are limitations of what, I, of what we can report these days. So uh, I'll do the best I can. We'll start with Michael underscore Hall 341. He says, do you guys think that judge's attitude is genuine or based off his, quote-unquote, tough coach past with Bill Belichick and Saban? I'm going to package that together with uh, at J7852, J Breezy S. Now that I've covered Sherman, McAdoo, and Judge, what's the biggest difference? So we'll talk about Joe Judge here to start, okay? I do think this is who he is. If you spend five minutes with Joe Judge, 
you realize this guy is no BS. I mean, he's going to tell you how he feels. He is a strong personality. And that's how he coaches. And that's how he interacts with people. So I do think it is genuine. Now, is it partially built off of those years working with Belichick and Saban? Absolutely. Of course that stuff is going to rub on off on him. That's pretty much all he knows in regards to how he's coached. Now, he's just, like I said before, the key for him is going to be being able to put his twist on it and pull back when necessary. And if he's unable to do that successfully, which a lot of the other Belichick disciples have had trouble doing, then yes, he will fail. He will lose the team. And I've said this from day one. I wrote it. Bef- I wrote it this week. There's, and I think someone even sent me a text when he was first hired and, and told me this. When because of his personality, and this is who he is. I mean, you. I, asked, I said somebody in Boston. I said, uh, "What did you see from him? Uh, what did you know of him?" He's like, he yelled a lot. <laughs> that was that was somebody's breakdown of him. But when you're talking about Joe Judge. He's, he just he brings a little different, harder twist to it, right? Than past coaches, because say, what's the biggest difference between a Joe Judge training camp and others? That was the question that Jay Breezy threw in there. First of all, there's hitting, okay. Then you have the guys running laps and doing penalties like that. You've seen guys in the past do push-ups and stuff like that. Also, uh, he has instead of. Most practices that I've seen, you have the offense and the defense, and they rotate in. Joe Judge, what he does is they have basically two mirrors, split fields, where there's two groups that are running simultaneously. Like, let's say one is the first and half the second string, and the other half on the other side of the field or a different field is half the second string and the third string. So there's more going on at the same time. I think it's a little more efficient use of time than practices. But he runs a little harder practice. There's physicality. They lined up five yards apart and bashed heads in a drill. Corey Ballantyne ended up with his stinger where his arm didn't move for, you know, he didn't move really for like two minutes on the ground. I mean, I had been covering the Giants since 2013, and this is true. I had never seen, and this includes the end of the Tom Coughlin era, several years with Coughlin. There has there was zero, zero practices with tackling, full tackling to the ground. Zero since 2013 when I arrived. Zero. <laughs> Day two or three, we saw it with Joe Judge. So that that that's certainly the biggest difference practice wise. And he co- they coach hard. I mean, they're yelling at the players and screaming and. F-bombing people left and right out on that field way more than I've seen in the past. McAdoo also was a little bit of a hard ass. You saw that from him. Uh, and, and But he had a different group. He had a much more veteran group, which I think made it much harder for him. I, I always wonder. Now, I'm not sure McAdoo had the interpersonal skills of Joe Judge, which is why I think Joe Judge has a better chance of success in his role at 38 years old, and McAdoo was around that same age. But... I wonder if McAdoo had a younger team if he would have had a better chance. Because think about some of those guys. He had some questionable characters on that team, and that's ultimately what blew up in his face. So, uh, Next question. At Jay Infinite, Jay White says, Will the Giants add a legitimate pass rusher? 
And the answer to that is, I believe at this point, I really doubt it. And someone asked in a separate question. Sorry, I, didn't, I don't know who it was off the top of my head. Would it be Yannick Ngakwe? I, it, I feel pretty good that it's not going to be Yannick Ngakwe, that he's not a really natural fit in what the Giants are doing with the three, four outside linebackers and looking for length at that position, you know, the long, uh, speedy pass rushers. I, I don't think he's a natural fit in that role. So I'd be surprised if they go that direction. They're not going Jadavian Clowney they, for multiple reasons. But number one, let's start out with this team. They're not a Jadavian Clowney on a one-year deal away from competing for a Super Bowl. So why are you going to sign that guy, especially after Marcus Golden came back, and then stunt the potential development of any of the young guys, which you're hoping one of them kind of popped? You're talking about uh, O'Shane Zimenez, Lorenzo Carter, even Kyler Fackrell, who's there on a one-year deal now. So... I think those are the guys. I don't think that's the problem either. I think they can get enough pass rush from the edge to be okay. I'm worried more about the interior pass rush more than anything, if you ask me. Joe Slosser says, what's your favorite NFL city for Saturday golf in the division or the league or both? Well, that's a great question right up my alley. That's kind of one of the things we, we'd like to do is you get out the day early, you fly out Saturday morning. Of course, this year, I doubt that's going to happen. Who knows what – I don't even think anybody knows if there's going to be any travel this year, what the travel situation is going to be, what the media situation is at games. We're still not completely there yet. Uh, but Dallas has always been a great trip. A lot of good courses in the Dallas area. Plus, it's always has been in basically the opener every year in September. Great getaway trip, first game of the year, usually a night game, so you have time on Saturday. You could all have a good time, you know, have some root beers afterwards, and uh, not have to wake up early the next morning. So Dallas has been a great trip. Uh, you know, Philly's a day trip, so we don't really nobody goes down to Philly early. Nobody goes down to Washington early. It's like a day trip you know, on the train. So in the division, it's a no-brainer. It's the Cowboys. Some of the other good golf spots. I mean, we once did a golf trip as Giants reporters uh, when we went to Seattle. And we played, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank. What was the course that they held the U.S. Open uh, in Tacoma? Uh, Chambers Bay. We had a great trip out there. But Tampa's also a really good golf city. I like I like to do that Tampa trip and play some golf in Tampa. So, yeah, those are some of the top ones for me in regards to uh, Giants travel golf trips. So I'll throw in one extra question, and then I promise I'm going to get to a whole bunch more this week. But I, di- I forgot to mention this before, so I'll address it here with one extra bonus. So I'll do two more quick bonus, two more quick bonus questions. At Giants only 1925 says, how has Corey Coleman looked? Can more than one undrafted free agent wide receiver make the team and beat him out? Actually, I think Corey Coleman has looked pretty good. For a guy who's coming off a knee injury, he's actually been moving pretty well. Now, the Giants sat him out of the scrimmage. Uh, We believe that's because he is coming off a serious knee injury. But in general, I think Corey Coleman looks pretty good so far. I think I I would say, you know, I kind of like his chances. But we'll see 
He's got to keep it up. We'll see what happens when he gets into live action. But so far, so good with Corey Coleman. And as far as the undrafted guys, I told you I thought Austin Mack is a guy who kind of stood out this first week, played pretty well, has that good size. Derek Dillon's another guy who's pretty good. But really, let's put the undrafted guys aside for a second because the guys who had really strong weeks in my eyes were David Sills and Alex Bachman. Now, those are two guys that they're not necessarily rookies. They're second-year guys. But they spent most of the last year on the practice squad. So they should be ahead of the rookies. And maybe that's the thing this year. Undrafted guys are in trouble. Those guys that were on the roster last year probably have a significant advantage, even if we're talking not on the roster, we're talking on a practice squad. Those guys might be the guys that shine this year instead of the traditional undrafted guys. So, And the last bonus question comes from at Dan underscore Paolini, six. Said, will Ryan Connolly being in the starting spot week one? Now, I can't really say who I think is going to be the starters, right? That's one of the limitations. We Ooh, my voice just cracked. That's one of the limitations we have here. But let's be realistic. Ryan Connolly sat out the scrimmage on Friday, okay? Now, we understand he also is coming off a serious knee injury, so they held, maybe they held him out of that. But now they practice today on Sunday, and he also didn't practice. Now, Joe Judge isn't going to tell us anything. Squad douche, nothing, nada, zilch on injuries. But let's put two and two together at this point. A guy coming off serious injury, he was kept out of the scrimmage, and now he's missing practice time with an injury, maybe related to the knee, may not be related to the knee. We don't know that yet. But the fact that he's missing time and coming back from a major injury says that Ryan Connolly's got a way to go until he's able to get on the field and compete at a high full-speed level. So that opens up the door, right, for the Devontae Downs, Tay Crowders, David Mayos. Uh, Am I missing anyone who's the inside linebacker spot? Uh, Josiah Tawaiofa. These are guys that are all in that middle linebacker spot. They give the Giants depth. They give them special team options. So, uh, for once, I think they're they're in way better shape at that inside linebacker position, although some of those guys you just named, I'm not sure if you want them starting. But I think they're in better shape at that inside linebacker position than they have been for several, several years. So, all right, that's it for Giants After Dark. But I promised you I will get back to it soon. So look out on Twitter. I will give another call for questions. I'll probably even do answer some of them live on Twitter at some point. I'll give you a heads up, and I'll give you a time that I'm going to do it. Time and, and So be there. Fire your questions anytime, really, you can go. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, although Facebook I'm not. My response time is not very good. Uh, email. If you send me questions that I can answer, I will do my best to try and answer them. Uh, and always subscribe, like this podcast, tell your friends. We need to get bigger. We need to get better, and your feedback is always appreciated. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue, training camp style. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. 